Be okay with embracing who you are, loving who you are, and making the separations that are necessary for your emotional health. What about you being the apple of God's eye? That is what's the important part of it all. That's why I live it out loud. Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. Whenever we have that feeling that we don't quite belong or that others don't accept us for who we are, we can look to examples from the Bible of strong people of faith who owned who they were in God's eyes and went on to do great things in His name, even when others may have thought they were weird or different. God offers us the ultimate experience of acceptance as He assures us in Romans 8, 38, and 39, nothing can separate us from the Father's love. Our guests today have had to look rejection and humiliation in the face and choose to believe that God had more for them, even when other people didn't believe in them. We're talking with gospel music sensation Kira Sheard Kelly and the chief legal correspondent for Fox News, Shannon Breen. First up, Kira Sheard Kelly is a gospel singer and songwriter, author, actress, and entrepreneur. Growing up in a house where music was a second language, it wasn't surprising when Kira reached her teen years that she would follow in the footsteps of her famous mother and aunts who made up the legendary Clark sisters. But it would take a little longer for Kira to really find out who she was, apart from the hit songs, apart from what others thought of her, and truly embrace the person she was uniquely meant to be. Hello, I am Kiara Sheard Kelly, the author of Big, Bold, and Beautiful, Owning the Woman God Made You to Be. So I started being this working woman. I went from traveling on the road to my mom to now you're all on your own. So I had to figure some things out, of course, with the lessons that I had. But you have um, squad goals. Squad goals has everything to do with your emotional state, how you're creating, how you're being pushed into your destiny, if you're being pushed into your destiny. My Nana gave me the book Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren because there was something that my Nana knew that she couldn't communicate to me that if I just give it to her in a book, I think she'll get it. The book, it tells you how can you identify those things. Sometimes it's the things that are abnormal about you. Sometimes it's what comes naturally to you. My mother just said, Kiara, just start singing. And I just started singing. And now my career is based off of what comes natural to me. I am a Jesus calling reader. I really am. I got that from my Nana too. The village is not just for the child. It's for the adult. And I think the Bible says it. And I think that's one of the scriptural references. The scripture is in the multitude of counsel, there is safety. And so that's one of my favorite scriptures because I literally have gotten so many answers from my advisors. And that can be my friends, my loved ones, my, my sibling, anybody that I feel like God has said yes to. And they've contributed so much to the path of my life. I tell this story too about when I was at like a record company and I started saying, I want to own my big, you know, though I'm, I'm big and heavy in weight. And I know there were some things which my family encouraged me. We want you to be healthy. There's a such thing as being confident, but we also want you to be healthy. But in the beginning, for anybody that's trying to defeat an addiction, you have to own and accept and take responsibility for your actions, right? So even if it is something that 
somebody has once upon a time made an insecurity, you still have to own it. But this was a, a way to own who you are as far as you're beautifully made different, if that makes sense. Um, so I talk about when I was like, I want to do full body shots. And they were like, you can't do full body shots. You got to do head up shots. And I'm just like, no, I want to do a full body shot. And somebody said that I look like a Pillsbury Doughboy. And it came from someone that I kind of was trusting and I didn't expect it to come from. I mean, literally, I was growing through this journey and I kind of go back in the pages of my life. And I'm like, let's just let me give this to somebody else so it can help them. Since I love young women, I love young men as well, but I feel like my assignment is to pour into young women. I think when we're going through experiences and we see, I'm not the only one that's going through that, then for sure I can get through this. If she went through that too, if she went through that bad relationship, if she spent poorly or if she had a bad attitude, then I can get through this too. I think it's important for young people to let them know that the gospel is not just for preachers that are in the pulpit, not just for people with the mic, not just people for who in who are in the spotlight. It's for everyone. So I was riding in the car and um, I was looking at some homes. I said, one day I want a house like that. And the Lord just kept, he kept showing me series and sequence of events that were just flashing through my mind. And I started crying and I became overwhelmed. This keeps happening to me. It keeps happening for me. I live my faith bold and proud by owning who I am, owning what God is doing in my life. People can identify their gifts, goals, and talents by sometimes the thing that people point out and say, that's weird about you. That's not cute about you. That's, that's ugly about you. For me, and people can tease me all day if they want to, but for me, what connected me with some of my listeners in my demographic is the thing that people say, oh, that's not cute. People said you were big. Baby, but I'm changing your work. So I think it is paying attention to everything, but being prayerful about it all and seeing what are your skills telling you? Because you know Jesus, it doesn't make you small. It doesn't make you weird. It doesn't make you abnormal. It actually puts you in a secure place, in a sure place, and allows you to kind of escape suicidal thoughts more than the average person that's not in touch with Jesus. It allows you to escape depression more than it allows the average person that's not in touch with Jesus. Even anxiety, because there's a different thing that we're resting on. There's a different being that we're resting on. And there are different guidelines that we're resting in. I would definitely encourage you to connect yourself with people that are like you, I think that that's how you can feel empowered. And having people who are okay and not intimidated by who you are. You want people around you that'll tell you the truth too and that are not afraid that they'll lose a space in your life more than they are concerned with your anointing and your obedience to Christ. So I think that's how you stay empowered. Once you start owning who you are, it is such a liberating feeling and it also allows you to connect with the resources. You begin to attract the healthy relationships that you deserve. You begin to attract the healthy solutions that you deserve or even the doors that you want open. Because first you have to accept it in order for you to walk in the door. But at the end of the day, everything we do, the word says, do it to the glory of the Lord. There's a glory that rests on your life and heaven is rejoicing when you live it out and when you own it. You can find Kira's book, Big, Bold, and Beautiful, Owning the Woman God Made You to Be, wherever books are sold. 
Stay tuned to Shannon Bream's story after a brief message. Motherhood. It's a journey like no other, teeming with love, unparalleled dedication, and moments that pierce the very essence of your soul. It's a trek that demands to be celebrated, lauded, and embraced in its entirety. Celebrate the moms in your life this Mother's Day with two beautiful gift books, Jesus Calling for Moms by Sarah Young and Grace for the Moment for Moms by Max Licato. These heartfelt devotionals will remind the moms in your life just how special they are. Jesus Calling for Moms and Grace for the Moment for Moms are available now where all books are sold. During times of transition and unknown next steps, it's more important than ever to cling to the promises of God and to tune your ear to what Jesus has to say. Jesus Calling for Graduates is an encouraging compilation of 150 devotions from Sarah Young's brand. Grads will find topics such as discerning God's will, self-worth, trust, support, and much more. Jesus Calling for Graduates is perfect for both high school and college graduates as they embark on the next chapter. Look for a special custom edition of Jesus Calling for Graduates, available exclusively at faithgateway.com. Twenty twenty has brought a lot of challenges to many of our lives, but none more than our country's first responders. The team at Jesus Calling has chosen one hundred Jesus Calling devotions that have been specially selected for those heroes in our midst. There are hardcover editions of these one hundred devotions for medical professionals, firefighters, law enforcement, and the armed forces. Find these Jesus Calling for first responders editions exclusively at ChristianBook.com. Shannon Bream is a host for Fox News at Night and also serves as the network's chief legal correspondent. Growing up in Christian schools and attending a Christian college, Shannon's environment was steeped in faith, which guided her through the ups and downs of the pursuit of her career. Though sometimes rejected and discouraged, Shannon stuck to the belief that she was supposed to work in news, all the while adopting an attitude of trust when it seemed like doors weren't opening readily in that direction. Shannon's determination and faith paid off, and now, along with her successful career as a host of a major evening news show, she's also sharing stories from the Bible about fiercely faithful women, whom she's written about in her new book, Women from the Bible Speak. My name is Shannon Bream. Professionally, I am the anchor of Fox News at Night and the chief legal correspondent for Fox News, author of Finding the Bright Side, and a brand new book called Women of the Bible Speak. It is about 16 women and their lessons and wisdom that we can apply today. I have been married for 25 years, live in Arlington, Virginia, just outside of Washington, D.C., So my growing up years were all in Florida. I'm a seventh generation Floridian and my dad who has passed away was always so proud of that, of our deep roots there. And we really do love Florida and all of its quirkiness and wonderful things top to bottom. My parents divorced when I was very young, just a year old. So I don't have any memories of them together, but my childhood is this mix of growing up with my mom and our grandparents. And I'm so thankful for those years, but going back and forth, visiting my dad 
had as I got older, understanding more about this unusual situation and kind of having two different sets of family. I grew up in Christian school where my mom was a teacher and we were in church every time the doors were open, I say to people. So really the church was our community. It was sort of our family, it was the center of our lives. And in high school, went to a great Christian high school where I had teachers who poured into us. We had chapel and speakers. So I was constantly getting fed spiritually along with my education. And that was true as well. When I went off to Liberty University for undergrad, I traveled one year with a singing group at Liberty and got to see the world. We we spent a good chunk of our summer in Brazil. And that was probably one of the, the things from my 20s and from my college years that made the biggest impression on me was to see how the gospel and that connection, the message of Christ can connect you with people around the world. Even if you don't speak the same language, you can have the same heart and be a part of the body of Christ. I went on to law school from there at Florida State back in Tallahassee, where I grew up. And those were challenging years. It was very difficult academically and just a whole different way of going to school. I'd been in a Christian school environment, K through 12 and then undergrad. So it was the first time I was really where people weren't on the same page as me about my beliefs, my faith, that kind of thing. So it was very interesting and challenging and very good for me to kind of see the world from different perspectives and know that there would be people who would respect where I came from and who I was and others who wouldn't, but were called to get along and find a way to work together. And through those formative years, I had a lot of those experiences. Part of my college experience in law school as well was getting involved first in the Miss America pageant program. And, you know, it was something I'd watched as a little kid growing up with my mom and my grandmother, and we'd have our little scorecards and we would pick our winners. And I love that these women seemed so together. I mean, they're getting their education, they're um, talking about world issues, and I just was really impressed by them. I competed when I was at Liberty University in the Miss Virginia pageant, and much to everyone's surprise, including mine, I won my first year in the competition and was off to Miss America just a few weeks later. In the Miss America pageant, you have a talent competition as well. And I'd grown up playing the piano, but had terrible stage fright. So that was a real challenge for me and a real stretching of my faith. So there I was at 19, kind of feeling in way over my head and overwhelmed, terrified that I was going to have to play the piano. And the night of the finals, you do the opening number, everybody's watching on live TV. Then they take you kind of back into a little holding area where you, you can't go back into the dressing room because they know who the top 10 are and they're moving everybody's things around. So you'll be in your special competition area. They get your gowns ready and that kind of thing. And while we're in this holding area during the commercial, one of the women who is hosting us says, don't forget if you make it, you're going to perform in front of 80 million people. And most of the girls start cheering. They're all excited. And I want to fall on the ground like, okay, now I don't want to make the final 10 because this seems like my worst nightmare. And sure enough, we went out from the commercial. My name was announced as one of the top 10. And I just had to pray over the whole thing. I had been for months and really just give it to the Lord and say, listen, I believe that you brought me this far to bring you glory, to point this back to you. Please help me through this piano solo. That final day of competition, you're on a bit of a bubble. But somehow the girls in my dorm had gotten this genius idea to go old school and send me a telegram. And I got this telegram that said, we're praying for you. We'll all be together and praying for you tonight. So 
I just cherished that. And it really was something that, along with the Lord's strength, got me through that performance that night on the stage at, at Miss America. And what a fantastic experience. And I ended up entering the Miss Florida competition, which I did win and went on to Miss USA, where I again ended up in the finals there. And because of those experiences, got through law school with no debt and had a fantastic experience representing my home state of Florida and got to travel around and do all kinds of things that I think prepared me for the path I am on and where I've landed now. So God was in all of that. I had a great experience. It's not for everyone, but for me, it was a lot of fun. So my career path is a little bit unusual in that I did graduate from law school and practice for a few years in Florida as a sexual harassment attorney doing race discrimination cases, employment law, that kind of thing. But always in the back of my mind, I've been this news junkie, very interested in journalism and in telling those stories. Law school very much interested me in that I enjoy the intersection of politics and law and that kind of thing. But I never could shake this other thing that I wanted to do, this other passion I had for news. So a few years into my legal career, I decided I would try to intern at one of the local news stations in Tampa, Florida, where I was working. And I landed at this one ABC affiliate there. And they said, you can't just you know, show up here and take that. You got to do this for college credits. Well, and then I went to some of the local schools who said, well, unless you're a mass communications student here, we can't do authorized credits for you to go and do an internship. So listen, I just wore people down. I got together my transcripts from law school and undergrad back when faxes were still a thing. And I would fax them over to the departments of these various schools. Finally, the dean at the communications school at the University of South Florida in Tampa, he said, I will grant you this exemption. What we're going to do is you have to take a news writing class, which I definitely needed. He said, I'll let you do that. And then I'll also authorize the credits for you to go and take an internship at this local station. So I did the news writing class, which was super helpful. It's very different than legal writing, which is what I've been trained in. And then I went over and did the internship at night and I would sneak over there nights and weekends whenever I had free time. And I would bug producers, photographers, reporters to let me go along with them. And it was really nice of them to do that, to sort of babysit this 30-year-old intern at that point was closing in on 30. So listen, that very first job was not glamorous that I got after my internship. 2 a.m. to 11 a.m. I went in and I, I wrote copy for the morning show. I answered the phones. I made coffee. But I was loving every minute of it, despite the pay cut and everything else. I just thought this is where I'm supposed to be. And I was so excited for the opportunity. And I started to gather little bits of tape here and there. And then suddenly one day my boss and his boss were gone. There was a management change at the station. So a couple weeks into the new boss, I was called in uh, to his office and the head of HR was sitting there and I thought, I am getting a promotion. But if the head of HR is sitting there, you are not getting a promotion. And he basically told me, you're the worst person I've ever seen on TV. You're not good. I don't know why anybody thought that we should put you on TV. You're never going to make it. And I'll be honest, I cried, not in front of him. I wasn't going to do that. But I went and found one of these soundproof edit bays where they edit together the tapes and things for television. And I cried. I was so embarrassed and I was so hurt. And I thought, oh my goodness, I've blown up my legal career leaving to do this. What have I done? So it took months and months and months of me sending out my tape, of me cold calling, of me sending my resume before I ever got a bite about another job. And it took you know a while. And I learned a lot through that process, which was humility, that your job cannot be your God. It can't be what drives your life. 
I preach this to myself all the time because I love what I do and it's very all-consuming, but I learned a lot of lessons in that hurt. And it honestly kicked me out of the nest. It made me say, all right, you got to look at yourself honestly here about how bad you are, how good you want to be, what you need to do to make up the difference, how you can improve, mentors and people that you can lean on. And I found those along the way. I went on to work in Charlotte, North Carolina, a fantastic market with wonderful people. From there, got a call to take a local position with NBC in Washington, D.C., and it was there that I continued to try to get myself in the door with Fox. It was a new network. It was exploding. It was doing so well, and I just couldn't make any headway. And so finally, one day, my husband, who books professional speakers for a living, uh, had booked Britt Hume, who was then anchoring the 6 p.m. show, Special Report for a speech. And my husband said, you got to come with me. He'll be in the green room. We'll have a chance to talk to him, bring one of your DVDs and you can hand it to him. And I thought this is super embarrassing and sort of stalker. Like, I, I don't know if this is a good plan, but I did go. I ended up meeting Brent as he was waiting to go on stage. And it was this moment of kind of putting together all my guts and my courage and saying, I want to come work for you at Fox news. And he was very polite, but sort of laughed and said, Oh yeah, I get that all the time. Sort of blowing me off. And I felt a little embarrassed, but I was glad I'd stuck my neck out. And so I sort of thought I will take a little walk at this point to sort of shake it off. And he and Sheldon, my husband, were still in the green room talking. And he said, does she like to cover politics? And my husband said, well, when she was in law school at Florida State, she actually worked in the Florida legislature. And Britt said, wait a minute, she went to law school. Do you think she'd want to cover the Supreme Court for Fox News? And my husband's sort of like, well, wow, this has taken quite a turn. So I come back several minutes later, not knowing this conversation has happened. And Britt literally says to me when I walk in the room, when do you think you could start? And I, I, I'm flabbergasted and thinking, wow. And from that point on, I was still in her contract at NBC. So it was a tricky period because it wasn't to be in negotiations with anyone else. It was very difficult because several times during the process, There were months of this that Fox would call and say, listen, we're going to have to hire someone. We can't leave this job open. And I got to a point where I was walking around at a women's conference with my best friend, kind of mulling over what I was going to do and how to handle this. And we came around the corner to a book display that was up that said, when I lay down my Isaac, and I said, that's exactly what I'm being called to do. Not the guarantee that I'll end up with this job, but that I have to let it go. It's so precious to me, just like Isaac was to Abraham. And I believe this is of God, just like you know Isaac was to Abraham, but I've got to put it down. And I did. And I said, I got to just let it go with peace that whatever God wants to be will be. And it wasn't long after that, that Britt Hume actually tracked down my husband at his work at his office and called and said, I know that Shannon can't talk to us. But do you think when our contract's up with NBC, she'll be interested in coming to talk to us at Fox? And my husband said, you know, basically that's all we can say at this point. And that's the story of how I ended up at Fox months later. And I've been there for 14 years, uh, primarily covering the Supreme Court, but now also anchoring Fox News at night. And now having the opportunity to author this brand new book under the Fox book label, Women of the Bible Speak. I think sometimes people have a misconception that women are sort of second-class citizens in the Bible. Every single one of these women are the stars of these stories, stars of the show that God wanted their stories included in the scripture for us to learn from, to be encouraged by, to be challenged by, to be inspired by. 
Jesus treated women as equals. They were studying with him at his feet, which was not common in those days. Um, religious education and esteemed religious teacher or rabbi, as Jesus was considered by many back then, would have been primarily instructing young men and men in the temple about the gospel. But we see that women were close friends of Jesus. He had great respect for them and value to them. And some amazing things that, listen, when he resurrected, the woman that he revealed himself to was Mary Magdalene. And that essentially made her the first evangelist to run and to go tell he's alive. I mean, he just took such care with his relationships with women. And so I thought that was a very beautiful, important thing to communicate to folks that he interacts with women too, who were on the fringes of society or outcasts, like the woman who was caught in adultery. And he goes and, and makes every one of those people look at their own sin. And that famous line, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And they all kind of slunk away quietly, dropping their stones and leaving, realizing we're all flawed. We're all sinners. And obviously in the Old Testament, we have amazing stories of Queen Esther. We have Deborah, who was a leader of the entire nation of Israel, showing that God values women in their leadership roles as well. The God who intervened in all of these situations centuries ago is the same God today. I'm struck by the fact that these frustrations and troubles and challenges the women had, many of them are very common to today. Family trouble, sibling rivalries, chronic illness, financial trouble, widowhood, infertility, betrayal. There are just so many things that um, translate to now. And even if we don't have the exact same problems or situations, we're not asked to lead a nation into battle or to save an entire nation. There are common threads there about how God stepped up. As we wrap up our time with Shannon, she reads a passage from Jesus Always, dated February 5th. The joy I give you transcends your circumstances. This means that no matter what's happening in your life, it is possible to be joyful in me. The prophet Habakkuk listed a series of dire circumstances that he was anticipating. Then he proclaimed, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my savior. This is a transcendent joy. I am training you to view your life from a heavenly perspective through the eyes of faith. When things don't go as you had hoped, talk with me. Seek my face and my guidance. I will help you discern whether you need to work to change the situation or simply accept it. Either way, you can teach yourself to say, I can still rejoice in you, Jesus. This short statement of faith expressing your confidence in me will change your perspective dramatically. As you practice doing this more and more, your joy will increase. This training also prepares you to handle the difficulties awaiting you on your pathway toward heaven. Rejoice in me always. So I just want women to know that all of that is universal. It translates across time to today too. God sees us, he knows our challenges. He hears our prayers, the longings of our heart, and he's still intervening and working in our stories. Be sure to check out Shannon's new book, Women of the Bible Speak, wherever books are sold. If you'd like to hear more stories about knowing who you are in God's eyes, check out our interview with musician Mike Weaver from the Christian group Big Daddy Weave. Next time on the Jesus Calling Podcast, baseball legend Daryl Strawberry shares his incredible story of turning toward God after a series of curveballs knocked him to the ground and how that started a path to forgiveness that changed his life. 
Baseball was fun, it was great, it was exciting, I was good, but at the same time, I had some real bad habits that had been in, introduced to me, and it led me astray from myself and who I could have really been. And you know what God did in the midst of that? He, he reminded me all these years that I was going through this life of trials and tribulations is because I wouldn't forgive. Want to hear more inspirational stories of people who have been changed by a closer walk with God? Then subscribe today to the Jesus Calling Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please be sure to leave a review, which helps us reach and inspire others with these stories. Plus, if you like seeing our guests as well as hearing them, you can find video interviews available on our YouTube channel at youtube.com, Jesus Calling Book, on Facebook, and on the Jesus Calling Instagram page.